I want to talk to you this morning a special message called, Why Do You Resist? Or Why Resist? Uh, we've talked about Stephen in our last Sunday night, and these words just stayed with me, and uh, just felt we're going to focus on why resist this morning, uh, talking about uh, resisting the Holy Spirit, and what does that look like today? In, uh, in my life, I have only been arrested one time, one time, and that was in a sermon illustration. I had a police officer in our church, and I was doing a series on uh, resisting the devil, and he will flee from you, the text we're going to talk about this morning. And so I had uh, this MP, he was in military police at the VA, and he came up and he arrested me on stage and put me in handcuffs and everything. And let me tell you, even though we had rehearsed this, and even though I knew the man and I trusted the man, there was something a little nervous, <laughs> you know. When he comes up on that stage and he puts the handcuffs on me, I'm thinking, he could do with me what he wanted to right now, even though I know him and I trust him. Uh, so even though I knew him and I trusted him, it was something about when those handcuffs came on and it was the real deal and I didn't have a key, I started to sweat a little bit, you know, and I'm like, I know this is fake and I know this is just pretend, but there's something about giving up your rights. Uh, and I, you think about that phrase, resisting arrest. Why do people do that? Well, perhaps, number one, uh, they don't believe they did anything wrong. There's one. Uh, perhaps, two, uh, they don't uh, re- respect or receive the authority of the power arresting them. So they resist it. Or maybe three, they literally have a genuine fear of losing control or power and getting their rights taken away and going to a place they may not want to go. There's a fear there. There's a, uh, a denying of authority and there's a denial of uh, what they did was wrong. Look with me in James 4, chap- chapter 4, verse 5, because I want to talk to you about resisting this morning. James is talking to a people who have pursued worldly things instead of pursuing the Holy Spirit. And he says, he says, do you think that Scripture speaks to no purpose? Like, why is your life all a wreck right now? Don't you know that God has a purpose for your life? And he says, he jealously desires, everybody say desires. He desires that the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He, do you not think that the spirit, Scripture speaks to no purpose. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, i.e., you have a spirit. God is a spirit. He's made your spirit to walk in line, in step with his spirit, and he desires that that purpose would be complete in your life. And James is saying, because you have desired other things, God is jealous that you would desire him and he would be in you, and you would be in him. Now, here's what he says. Verse 6, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed or resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist. Everybody say, resist. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let me tell you just a little bit about this text, and I want to get into this just real quick this morning. Uh, There are three things or four things you can pick out of this. And number one, it says that God resists. 
God resists things. He says, God resists the proud. He resists those who lift themselves up like him or higher than they should be. And that word resists there in the Greek and has a military tone to it. It means that God gives orders to resist or God gives orders to stand against or oppose those who lift themselves up higher than they should be. He gives the order, maybe to his angels, or he sets the charge that it's a speaking from an authority that God resists or stands in opposition uh, to the proud or gives orders to stand against the proud. And he says, well, God's commanding the resistance of the proud. And he says, but you need to submit. That word there also in the Greek means receive your orders. It is, again, a military tone. It means that you need to obey the orders he gives you. And so he's saying, God's commanding this. You need to receive your orders and stand firm in your place. Because why? God is a God who loves to give good gifts, gifts out of his abundant grace, unmerited favor. When you listen to God, how many people know everything works out? Right? And so he says, but then here's your part too. You're supposed to obey your orders. And then you're also supposed to Resist, And that word resist in the Greek is similar to the first one, but it's a little different. It means that you are to receive your orders to stand fast. So let's put all this together. James says, God resists. He stands against and gives orders against those who lift themselves up. And if you would receive your orders by faith in Christ, God's going to grant you unmerited favor and good gifts. And there's another order he gives. He says, you are now receiving orders to stand against in opposition to Satan, the devil, the adversary, the one who's going to attack your faith. So who's the authority in this picture? God. The devil isn't the authority here. He's saying God is the one giving the orders. God is the one calling you to receive your orders against any adversary. One, an adversary of me lifting myself up, and two, an adversary from the outside coming in. And I look at this passage this morning and I think about what am I standing against? Am I obeying my orders? Because if you look at this, he's saying this. To resist Satan is to surrender yourself to God and obey his orders. To resist Satan is to receive my orders to stand fast And to submit myself to God, to stand in rank, rank and file, to stand in file, to stand in line, and know that God is the highest authority in my life. And if I do this, if I stand in line, rank and file, if I stand in opposition against the adversary, the devil, if I keep myself in line with God's orders, he will give me abundantly good things, unmerited favor. The Bible talks about pressed down, shaken together, running over, right? And so James lays this out. But here's my question when I read this this week. I know that God resists the proud, and I'm supposed to resist the devil. But what happens if I resist God? What happens in your life if you resist God? What happens in your life if you resist the Holy Spirit? I want to give you seven ways that we resist the Holy Spirit. And the question this morning is, why resist? Because he says, I will give you good gifts 
unmerited favor. Every the storehouse of heaven will open up in your life. And I asked myself the question, Heath, why would you and why do you resist the Holy Spirit in your life? I want you to answer the question why today, but I'm going to give you the how. For years in my life, I had resisted the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a, in a church background. Uh, my mom and dad were very involved in church my whole life, and I was there every time the doors were open. And, and I grew up unknowingly religious. I grew up not very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In fact, even though I raised in a charismatic or Pentecostal background, I had never raised my hands in church to the age of 17. I'd never really gone to an altar call. Uh, in my life. I never went to youth camp, kids camp, even youth service. I I really just kind of stood in the back. I was very insecure and shy, but I turned out that that was a lot of pride on the inside of losing control and resisting. And I remember services where I would feel so compelled, just like something was beating inside of me. You need to go down that altar. You need to go down that altar. You need to go down that altar. You know how many times I said no to that? A lot. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I'd feel that thing welling up inside of you. Just put your hands up. Just put your hands up. And it wasn't about putting my hands up. It was about resisting anything or compulsion inside of me, this drawing. And I remember at 17 years old on a night when none of my friends were at this service, and it was a Tuesday night, and I just felt I was going to explode on the inside if I did not get down there to that altar. And the rest is history, and God would, can, uh, would overflow in my life that night. I'd have a radical encounter with God, and it would lead to other things and other things. But even then, even though that God would baptize me in His Spirit and later on call me into the ministry, there has been many, 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 many times I have resisted things God wanted to do in my life. Things like, hey, why don't you go across the street over there and pray with that person? Or, hey, why don't you, I know you're a pastor now, but you should still answer that altar call at that meeting you're at. Or you should humble yourself and go confess something to somebody else. Or you should give this person a word. I mean, I don't know if that's me, God. I don't know if that's you. I don't. Or maybe, you know, it was a let loose, give a shout. And I was like, ooh, I don't do that kind of thing. Or, you know, I'm not going to get out there and get in front of everybody and speak in tongues. And I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to do that. And I definitely would never go here, God. And don't ask me to do this. And all this stuff on the inside, God began to reveal. And, and the question is today, why resist? Why resist? Why resist? God has been gracious to mankind since the very beginning, but it is in our very nature to resist the Holy Spirit. I think about Israel. These guys had the everything. They had the priest. They had the tabernacle. They had fire. They had cloud, they had signs, they had the Red Sea parted, and yet still in their nature to have every revelation of God at that time known to man, they still resisted the Holy Spirit. Scripture gives dire warnings for those who persist in resisting the Spirit of God. If you persist to resist, you'll be dismissed. That's what I'm talking about this morning. If you persist to resist, you'll be dismissed. I'm going to give you the resist list. How about that? Seven ways and how we resist the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. If you've got notes, number one is this. It is to hinder. To hinder. Number one reason and number one way we resist the Holy Spirit is to hinder. Look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. How many people are with me this morning? Because you're all looking at me like a, a doe in the headlights, right? Uh, 
resist. One of the ways we resist, and I resist the Holy Spirit, number one way I normally do is Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, Paul, to the church in Galatia, he says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What happened there? These guys had been filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and God was doing some miracles among this Gentile population. And some rule givers came in behind them and said, wait, 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 before you begin to do all this crazy stuff, and before you do all this, you need to make sure you've got some checklists in your life, and you need to get circumcised, you need to dress this way, you need to go to these ceremonies, you need to do these tabernacle things, you need to do all this other stuff, and then God will continue to use you in your life. And he says, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. He says, you are running well. Who hindered you? Who stomped out? Who, who pulled back the reins on you pursuing the Spirit of God? You know, sometimes we can get so um, scared that our emotions will take over. And we get so scared to be in a church service or an event or denomination or a movement where it's going to be crazy, charismatic chaos. And that's valid. That's valid. But we can get so worried about the extremes of emotionalism or hyper grace that we can suppress unknowingly the manifestation of the Spirit. So worried about... To, to cry, is that emotion? Is that crying too much? And sometimes we can turn structure, turn into structure before we turn into the spirit. Sometimes we can go into rules before we go into relationship, just like these people were told. We think, oh, because we need to make sure we have control of ourselves. We need to make sure we have order and control of the service. And again, that's valid. But, you know, oftentimes, that control is a manifestation of the flesh. And, and we say, well, but aren't we worried about it being too crazy? Sure. You know what Paul said to the church in Corinth? He said, guys, I pray that you would covet or desire earnestly to prophesy. And I also command you this, don't forbid speaking in tongues. But he says, everything you do should be done in decency and order. Why? Because he's saying on one end of the spectrum, you're going to have hyper-emotionalism. And if you let the spirit in control, everything is going to be in decency and order. On one spectrum, if it's hyper-emotional, you know it's the flesh. And on the other end, if you know it's all about deadness and rules and religion and structure, it's also the flesh. The spirit will not take you into crazy, manic, overwhelming, flopping like a fish on the floor, doing something that is undecent and out of order. And he will also not take you to a place of dead rule following. He says it is for freedom from the flesh and from rule following that Christ has set you free. So do not turn your freedom in the Holy Spirit into an opportunity for rule following. And likewise, do not turn your freedom in the Holy Spirit into craziness that disrupts the order of what God wants to do. Both in both senses are fleshly. But if we, church, would just let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and get our flesh out of the way on both sides, he'll do and show up how he wants to show up. Somebody say amen. The question is, can you have too much of the Holy Spirit? Paul would say no. But you can have too much flesh on both spectrums. So he's saying to these people, he says, don't let religiosity impede your progress. Keep 
running well towards the overflow of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. If God approves of you, then you don't need man's approval. If God is willing to put his very Holy Spirit that was in Christ and raised him from the dead, that was the Shekinah tangible glory of heaven, if he's willing to put that in you, God loves you. God thinks you're good enough. God thinks he wants to use you. You don't need a man or a woman or a denomination to approve of you. And you don't need to go do something crazy to make a spectacle of yourself either. God wants to use you in a powerful and mighty way. Don't hinder the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Number one, hinder. Number two is this. Don't quench. Quench the Holy Spirit. And if we end up hindering him, the next thing, and we say, oh, I I don't think I can ever... I won't ever, I, I used to tell God what I wouldn't do. God, I will never give a prophecy. God, I would never go to Africa. God, I will never raise my hands. God, I will never speak in tongues. That's fine. He'll use somebody else. But if you hinder the Holy Spirit in that way, guess what the next step is? You'll probably start quenching him as well. Quench. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, do not quench the Spirit. In the Greek, this word means to stop the burning or to put out the flame. It means to snuff it like a candle or it it means to, as if you have a fire that's burning at a campfire, you kind of pull the smolders back and you kind of let it start dying down. You quench it. You don't give it enough oxygen or fuel. And the Holy Spirit in Scripture is often symbolized by fire, meaning he is the baptizer of fire, which that word baptize means to immerse. He is the immerser of fire, as if you are the wick and he is the flame. I think about the parable of the ten uh, bridesmaids, or the ten virgins. Remember this parable that Jesus gave? Five were wise or prudent, five were foolish. And they go to this wedding, and in Jewish culture, it was a little different than ours, and they would wait for the, bro- the groom to go get the bride and bring her back. Well, Normally, it didn't take too long, but in this case, the groom waited a long time to go get the bride. It was midnight. Five had taken an extra flash, flask of oil in case he delayed. And as it got low, they put more oil in the candle, the oil candles, the oil uh, lanterns. But five foolish started getting sleepy about midnight and, and didn't have any reserves. They let their gas tank get below E. And they say, well, hold on. He, they said, he's coming, he's coming. And they wake up, oh my gosh, our candles is about out. So we, let's go to the store real quick, buy some more fuel. And we come back and they missed him. And they couldn't get in. And he closed the door and nobody can get in. And he, they says, this is the same way it will be at the end. There'll be those in the church that let the flame of the Holy Spirit burn out in their hearts. They don't have the reserve there to get through these last days. There'll be a dead, sleepy saint's that will miss the return of Jesus Christ because they have repeatedly quenched the flame of the Holy Spirit. You know, in an oil lantern, uh, I have an old ancient oil lantern in my office. It's a little cup of a thing, like a little bowl, a little saucer, and you put your 100% olive oil in it, and olive oil is not flammable in itself. It needs something to light it, and even if the flame falls into the olive oil, it really will put it out. It needs a wick. It has to have a wick. It's not just like gasoline where it's just going to combust. You put that wick in there, and when that wick, listen to me, gets saturated, gets baptized, immersed in the oil, then it comes out of the oil and it stands up for Jesus, and then God says, let's light that flame. 
And that, that holy anointing, that oil that has been baptized into that wick begins to consume it and it will burn for hours and hours. As long as it is attached to the source which has baptized it, it can light up a whole room. Do you hear me this morning? You need to be baptized, immersed, saturated, sanctified, set on fire for the Holy Spirit if you want to have Jesus meet you in these last days. If you want to be a part of his great awakening, his revival, his second coming, to be say, Jesus, I'm shining brightly. I see you coming. I'm ready. I'm burning bright. People take a notice of someone like that. It shines. It lights up the room. But it is a wick that has been saturated, baptized into the oil of the Holy Spirit, then stands up brightly for God, and he can say, Now I can light a flame. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. This is not my denominational doctrinal position. I don't care if you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Catholic. This is Scripture, okay? I'm not here to preach a denomination or a certain position. I want to encourage you this morning. Just let Scripture speak for Scripture, okay? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Number three, don't rebel. If you hinder Him and then you quench Him and you fall asleep, you will easily begin to rebel against Him. Isaiah 63, verse 10, it says, But Israel... They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, and therefore he turned himself to become their enemy, and he began to fight against them. If you continue to hinder and quench, you'll rebel. Deuteronomy is what this is really talking about. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses remembers that moment when Israel had come out of the Red Sea. They had seen the waters part. They had seen the fire and the cloud. They'd seen... Uh, Pharaoh's army. They'd seen a great deliverance, and now they were supposed to trust God by faith to go into the land of promise. And so they tempt God in that way, and they send spies into the land, and two will come back with a faithful report, Joshua and Caleb, because if God can take out a whole national army, if God can deliver us with the death angel and the plague, and if God can make fire come out of heaven and, and guide us, and if God can part the water, surely God can handle some giants. And then 10 people said, I don't know about that, brother. I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if this is in God's plan. Wouldn't it be better if we did another way? Couldn't we just go back to Egypt? I wonder if we have faith to see God do more things. God saved us, but will God get us all the way there? In their hearts, they began to rebel. They hindered him. They quenched him. And because of their faithlessness, they began to rebel against what God wanted to do and get them to the promise quickly. You know what the result of that situation was? Forty years wandering in the wilderness because God could have got them there in a week. But because of rebellion in their hearts, it says in that moment they grumbled and they questioned God's purpose and power. And God even said to them in Deuteronomy 132, do not fear. The Lord your God will go before you and fight these giants. But they did not submit. They complained. God led them to some bitter water. And again, James chapter 4, verse 6, God resisted them entering the land because of their pride, of their faithlessness. Are we receiving and obeying orders today, or are we making up our own? 
Think about that in your life. How does that apply to me, Pastor Heath? Am I receiving orders today? Remember what James said? God gives orders against the proud. You are to stand rank and file, receiving the orders, resisting the temptation of the adversary, the devil, resisting him. He'll flee. And you just know as you submit to God, he's going to pour out abundant grace, good gifts into your life. As you will draw into God, he will draw into you. God's got good things for people who submit and obey. And in my life, there are areas in my life where I'll say, God, I really like to do life my way. I really like to get to that destination my way. I really want to get that good job my way. I really want to pick that relationship out my way. I really want to live where I want to live. I really want to go and do what I want to do. I really want to buy and sell what I want to buy and sell. After all, God, didn't you say you would bless me? Didn't you say I would prosper? Didn't you say you would protect me and heal me and deliver me? And he says, yes. But you got to go where I send you. You got to do what I do. You got to say what I say. You got to go where I go. Don't pretend to claim promises of God without obedience. That's not how it works. He says, they rebelled and I began to work against them. And in other places in Deuteronomy, it says that he would humble them to hunger for the right things. He had to humble their pride because they had rebellion. They wanted to get to the promised land their own way. And often... What we are asking God for is an easier way. God, can't I do that? The Holy Spirit will begin to tell you, hey, why don't you serve in your local church? And you say, well, God, but I'm pretty busy. God, I don't think I have the gifts for that. God, I don't think I want to do that. God, I really have these other agendas. God, I, I, you know, and the God begins to put it on your heart. Hey, could you give this of your offering? Could you sell this and give it to the poor? And you say, but God, I really need that to accomplish the things that I think I need to accomplish in my life. I really need to do this because this is how I have my investment portfolio set up. This is how I need to do things this month. And this is what I want to buy. And this is the plan. And he's saying, but, 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 but you want my blessing? It takes obedience. You want to see me open up the floodgates of heaven in your life? Open up a gift you can't even contain that will pour out a blessing on you you've never seen before in your life? Don't rebel against the Holy Spirit. Number four. Boy, it's quiet in here this morning. Whew. Number four. He says, don't grieve. If we rebel, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. If we develop that faithless heart that won't believe that God can take out giants in our life, if God has led us this far, I wonder if he's going to lead us the rest of the way. Come on, somebody. Uh, if, if we have that faithless report, we often grieve then the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we rebel against the mighty work he wants to do in our life. Paul in, in Ephesians right here, what he's talking about, he's like, when you allow yourself, your new life to go back to your old life, when you entertain bitter thoughts, malicious thoughts, when you allow that anger to consume you, when you go back to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and you know God has sanctified you and filled you with the Holy Spirit, but you keep going back and entertaining. Now, we, we all mess up. This is that habitual sin, and you allow habitual thoughts of, of negativity and slander and gossip and, and lust, and we continue to uh, abide in the old way. He says, you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you've not only hindered what God wants to do, you've let the fire of your life go out, and now 
You've said no to some things God has called you to do, and you're grieving. The Holy Spirit is weeping in your life over you. There was a moment not many, uh, a year and a half ago, when I was uh, praying on a, a, I think it was a Thursday, in the sanctuary on Jackson Street, over this town and over this community. And let me say, this was not Heath Harris. This was the Holy Spirit. Nobody was around. And all the next thing I know is, on that altar, I made a loop coming around this way, and it got to about right here, and I could do nothing but fall on my face, weeping, snotting, runny nose, just trembling lips. And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, Heath, do you feel this? Do you feel this? This is me. I'm weeping over LaSalle Parish, Louisiana. I'm weeping over this parish and what it could be for the kingdom of God. And he showed me, we began to pray, and I talked with Pastor Jeff over at LifePoint. I said, we have got to start something. Uh, Let's call it common ground, where we get the churches together, and we bring and break through this religious spirit of disunity and denominationalism, and let's see God show up. God is pleading with us. Would you bring my people together? In that vision that morning, I saw black and white and Baptist and Pentecostal worshiping and shouting and hugging and laughing and being united. And he says, Heath, this is what it could be, but is not. That's the word I had from the Lord. That's why we have common ground in this parish now is because God is grieved over a people who have hindered his Holy Spirit and rebelled against his word. If you don't grieve the Holy Spirit, you are pleasing Him. So please don't grieve Him. Pleasing God means this. It means doing good and acting like Christ, Ephesians 5. It means walking in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It means being a living sacrifice and knowing His good and pleasing perfect will. It means, Paul says to Timothy, it means, 2 Timothy 2, 4, it means obeying Him like a good soldier. Please the Lord. Submit to God. Obey his orders. Resist the devil. He'll flee. God will open up good things. And I hope we do not get to these next ones, but let me give you these anyway as a warning from Scripture and be obedient. Chapter number 5 is this. Acts 5, 9 is tempting. There was a moment where Peter said to Sapphira in Acts after the early church, it says, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Holy Spirit to the test? The Spirit of the Lord to the test. And Ananias and Sapphira wanting to look holy. Man, there's this big revival going on in the early church. And people were, by the Holy Spirit, selling their possessions and giving them to the poor. And selling some family land out in the woods. And selling their second home and their speedboats. And their, their things they really realized they did not need. They did not really matter if Jesus was returning soon. And they were getting all into mission. And they began to sell things. And wanting to appear holy, a man named Ananias and Sapphira come and, and try to pretend that God had moved on their life as well. And they sell this land, but really they kept the main profit of that land for themselves. But wishing to appear holy, they came down to the front and made a big spectacle. And upon doing that, God said to Peter, they're lying. And he says, why are you testing? Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit, to both of them? And in that day, God killed them both right there at the altar and ushers had to take their dead bodies out back. 
He says, why did you tempt or test the Lord? It's the same thing that Jesus said to the devil when he said, why don't you jump off of this cliff, Jesus? Because doesn't the Bible say that the angels will carry you and don't let your foot stumble? That the angels will come about you. He says, what? Do not test the Lord thy God. Don't tempt him to prove himself. He's good. He's faithful. His word says it's the same. uh, Jesus there is quoting when Israel gets into the wilderness and they said, God had delivered us and God has taken us. But but God, we hunger, we thirst. We won't. I thought you were a good God. I thought you were going to get us there, God. I thought you were going to do what you said, God. So we're going to say, prove yourself. If you're really God, make water happen. If you're really God, let's see who you are. God was gracious. He made rock, water come out of rock at Horeb. But it said that God was angry because they tempted him to prove himself. They tested him to show his faithfulness. They tested him to say because they had hindered, they had quenched, they had rebelled, they had grieved. And now they said, let's see if God really is God. If he's really God, he'll show up. If he's really God, he'll do this in my life. If he's really God, if, he's, if God's really good, he has to give me a good job. If God's really good, he has to heal me. If God's really good, he ought to do this in my life. And, and I don't think I'm going to believe. And I don't know that I'm, I'm going to put everything onto the table until God does his part. Then I'll do my part. Ever done that with God before? I have. Not a good place to be. You're tempting. The only thing God ever had to do was nothing. And what he did do is he sent his only begotten son to die for your sins he ain't got to do nothing else, brother, sister. He don't owe you nothing. You owe him everything. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. He don't got to prove himself. You have to prove yourself. He has to do nothing, but he, we owe him everything. Amen? Don't tempt. Don't make him prove himself. Don't wonder what you can secretly get away with. Maybe God's going to see me and maybe God won't. He sees you. Don't tempt him. Number six, don't reject him. Don't reject him. Stephen got to a place in his life where he was a faithful man. Been a part of this early church revival in the book of Acts. And, and he was called to be a deacon. They said they noticed that this man, humble man, but he was full of faith. And he was full. He was baptized, immersed, like we said, into the Holy Spirit. He lit up like a flame. And they called him to wait on tables and serve his local church. And he said, yeah, I'll be an usher. I'll be a door greeter. I'll, I'll serve in kids' church. I'll serve in youth. And that wasn't just where he stayed, though, man. He, he began to preach in the streets, and he began to witness to people he talked to. And, man, as he stepped out in faith to obey what the Holy Spirit done in his life, he began to see people healed and set free and delivered. And, in fact, his coworkers and family and friends just began to draw to him, and, and he began to impromptu preach at different places, and doors of opportunity began to open up. But then there was this group of religious people. Don't you love religious people? This group of religious people begin to say and cause accusation and slander and, and accuse him and lie about him. And they bring him to trial before the same people who killed Jesus. And the Holy Spirit begins to preach to Stephen through, or preach through Stephen. And he begins to tell them how God has been faithful, but you have already always been religious. You never submit to what God wants to do. God keeps pouring out blessing. But Israel, you always keep failing to obey him. And look in Acts, what he says, chapter 7, verse 51. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Stiff-necked means stubborn and prideful. Uncircumcised in heart means you're fleshly. You have a stony, hard heart. 
instead of a soft, conforming heart to the will of God. And he says, your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. I call this number uh, six, I call it rejecting because in the Greek, that word he uses is a lot more severe than what we would say with resisting. It means, why do you always oppose or become God's adversary? That's what it means. Why are you always God's enemy? Why are you always opposed to the mighty things God wants to do? Why do you always screw up God's blessing in your life for pride? For pride, you always want to be in control. You always want to tell God what you want to do. You always do this. Why are you always opposing the will of God? This is the same kind of word when we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees. He tells them in John, he says, you guys are sons of the devil. Now, that's about as bad as Jesus gets when it talks about cussing, all right? You are sons of the, you are just like your father, the devil, You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You put your hands in your ears so you don't hear it. You don't understand what God's doing. Because I can make rocks cry out. If people are people of faith, they're the real children of Abraham. It says, you guys always stand, devil means adversary, in opposition like your father, the devil. And here's Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And what he basically tells them, he says, guys, you have been hearers of God's word, like James says, but not doers. And he says, your religion is wrong. Is your religion wrong? I, uh, like I said, I grew up in church my whole life, thought I was a pretty good person. And I was. At that point in my life, when God was working on me as a teenager, I had not done drugs or got arrested or hit anybody and hadn't smoked crack cocaine and a lot of the things that we measure goodness by today. I, I hadn't had sex before marriage, and, and I measured myself as a good religious boy. Went to church, paid tithes. I was 16 years old, paid my tithes at 16, church, to the penny. I was a good boy. But my religion was wrong. I didn't have God. God didn't have me. Yeah, I had a form of religion, but Paul says in the last days, there will be a church that will hold to a religious semblance of Christianity, but they'll have no power or substance to it. They'll have no conviction. They'll have no flame. They'll have no oil. They'll have no signs and wonders. Follow what they believe. But boy, they can go to church. They can have a good worship team. They can pay a preacher to come. They can have a good VBS. They can do all the charity they want, but they've got no holy power. No Holy Spirit burning, yearning, glorifying, speaking prophetically, seeing God move in this last day's generation. And he says, why do you always resist and oppose what God wants to do in your assembly? Why do you always resist the power of the Holy Spirit who wants to be poured out in these last days? You're so controlling of your emotions. You're so controlling and formulated with your religion. You read the word, but you 
never do it. You hear all these great challenges in scriptures that says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, go make disciples, be an ambassador of Christ, turn the other cheek. And we say, no, it's okay. As long as you don't start the fight, finish it. As long as you pay your tithes, it's okay. We just want to see you here and fill up a pew. But you never have to witness. You never have to do anything other than make a pledge donation. That's religion. And it's full in this area. There is a form of godliness here that denies its power. First Thessalonians, he says, there are those even who have despised prophetic utterances. We don't want any of that craziness. We don't want all that. And again, I'm not speaking Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Catholic scripture. Paul says, don't reject, don't resist. Stephen says, don't resist the Holy Spirit. I ask myself, God, how's my heart? Because let me tell you something, as a pastor who does this full-time and pray every day and give and serve, it's easy to be religious. These were not crazy, evil people. These were church people, paid professionals, leaders in religion, knew the Bible, knew God, fasted, prayed, paid their dues, spent hours and hours a week in prayer. Gave and gave and served and did, and yet they were religious. And if they can miss Jesus in the flesh, how much easier it is for you and me in southern United States, central Louisiana, to miss the Spirit whom you cannot see. How's your heart? Is it sensitive and yielding to the Spirit? Is it hard and callous, like he says? Has God been speaking to me to surrender and obey? Have I been deaf? Because if I am not careful, I will end on the last one. And that is the blaspheme. Blaspheming, Jesus says, whoever blasphemes the Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Sometimes I hear people, Pastor, Pastor, have I, I think I might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Would you pray for me? No, 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 you have not blasphemed. If you're worried about it, you've not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I just basically sum it with this, is to say, there was a witness of Jesus Christ in his 33 years, in his three years of ministry. In this last days, there is a last days witness. It's the Holy Spirit who is imploring and drawing men to worship and submit and obey Jesus Christ. And if you, with your dying breath, will not fall on your knees and surrender your life and your heart to this witness who is compelling you, who is grieving over you, who is pleading with you to give him your all. That last breath will be your final denial of the last witness on this earth, that there is no hope beyond death. There is no hope beyond that last breath you take. If you have not repented and receive the Holy Spirit, there are no more chances. There is no purgatory. There is no afterlife where you can maybe get it right. That last breath, listen to me, if you have quenched him and denied him and pushed him off and rebelled him and rejected him and grieved him, there's only one thing left. You will harden your heart so much 
you will deafen your ears and you will turn away from him and to a place that maybe no one could ever reach you and you will die with your last breath and say, I will not submit. You will resist God. If you persist to resist, you'll be dismissed. Where are you at today? Where are you at today? That's the how we do it. And I close with this. The response then is to relinquish. Surrender. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. The only way you can draw near to God in the in Scripture and under the Old Testament, what James is quoting here, he's quoting that moment where the priest, he says, draw near. The priest would draw near. The priest would humble himself, admit his sins before God. He would basically symbolically clothe himself with blood. He would make atonement for his own sins. He would wash himself in the purification symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And he would have this personal interaction with God, confessing his sins, making himself right. And then he would come boldly to the throne of grace to go into the holy place where God's spirit was. And when James says, draw near to God, he does not say, draw near in how you are and what you want and with what you want to do. Draw near as you are. He does not say that he is quoting. He's saying, draw near by cleansing your hands, purifying your hearts, cleansing your lips, humble yourself in the hands of the mighty God, and he will draw near to you as you have come to him under the saving blood of Jesus Christ, repentant of your sins. As you can repent and come to God and humble yourself and say, God, all I need is you. He'll draw near to you. Man, he loves a humble heart. You know what he says in Luke? He says, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. You know how to give bread and food and water and clothe your kids and give them Xboxes and Playstations and send them to college. How much more do you think the Holy Father in heaven wants to give his best gift in this last days to his church, his family, his children? He wants to give you abundance. It's going to be like Christmas every day. He wants to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you like it was with Christ without measure. But you got to draw near to God. You got to relinquish control of your life. You can't serve God through religion, sir or ma'am, hear me. You can't serve God through performance-based Christianity. You can't serve God still being in control of your emotions, of your fears, of your money, of your time. You can't serve God being in control of your life. You humble yourself. You know what David said when he messed up in Psalms 51? He knew he messed up and he said, Lord, created me a clean heart, a steadfast, willing, humble, submissive, surrendered spirit. And you know what he prayed? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He didn't say, don't take my palace, don't take my horses, don't take my army, don't take my wife, don't take my guns, my flag, my Bible. He didn't say, don't take my family. He said, the only thing I want to know, Lord, if I get through this and if you restore me, God, don't take the most valuable thing in my life. That's your presence, your Holy Spirit. There's one thing I can't live without. It's what Moses said. God, don't take me from this place. If your spirit does not go with me through this life, I don't want any part of it. Just kill me now. Because the only only thing I want out of this life is your presence living in me. And the only way you get your presence, Lord, is to relinquish 
control. The Holy Spirit is here to live within you. He's here to make you born again, alive in Christ. He's here to teach you, to comfort you, to guide you. He's here to give you the fruitfulness of Christ's nature, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. You need to live a righteous life. That's what he's here to do. He's here in Ephesians. It says he's here to fill your life with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. To the Lord, does that characterize your life? When you come into worship, does the Holy Spirit just start singing joyfully through you? Do you get along in your day and he's just making up praise in his own, his own way? And I'm, I'm not thinking, I've got to have songs my way, my way or the highway. I've got to know the words. No, you just worship. You just let go and let it all out before God. We're so stuck on, I got to have the words. And if that projector messes up, buddy, it's a head turn to the back. It's, it's, I'm so focused on formula and structure and song lists and order of service. Just worship the Lord thy God. Just let it out. Sing praise to his name. Let the Holy Spirit worship you through you. That's what he's going to do. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's created you to do. Is like Miss Evelyn said this morning. He's not only here to worship through you, he's here to baptize you with supernatural boldness so you can spread the good news without fear. He's here to equip you with various internal gifts and external gifts so that you can do your part in building up Christ's church. But don't tell him no. God, you'll never use me in tongues. God, you'll never use me in prophecy. God, I'll never do one of those crazy, charismatic, weird things. Don't tell him no. Just say, yes, Lord, I surrender. Do with me what you will. My life is yours. I'm a good soldier. I want the good gifts. I'm standing in rank and file. Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Do whatever you... I know. I trust you. You're not going to make me do something that's inappropriate. You're not going to make me do something crazy and and stupid and foolish that's going to make other people offended for the gospel. You're not going to do that. Don't you trust him? He loves to give good gifts. Don't fear a good father. Just surrender. Are you with me this morning? Would you stand with me? Worship team, would you come? The more you resist the Holy Spirit, the more you'll deafen yourself to his call. And sometimes in this life, I wish we would resist temptation as much as we resist the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in this life, I wish we would resist the devil like we resist the Holy Spirit. My question for us today is, why resist such a good thing? Why resist such a good father? God has good gifts that are pleasing, that are in order, that are for blessing, that are for building up the church, that are for sending you into the best season, the best relationships, the best purpose, the best identity, the best provision you could ever ask for. It's just... Surrender. Relinquish control of your life. Receive the Holy Spirit. All you have to do today to receive the Holy Spirit is this. Submit yourself to God. Ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. Come under His dominion, His kingship, His lordship. Then pray. Number two. Number one is surrender. Listen to me this morning. Number one is surrender. Number two is pray. How do you pray? You pray in faith. Jesus Christ has paid the price for you to receive the Holy Spirit. There's nothing you got to do. It's all on him. You ain't got to do this. You ain't got to speak in tongues. You ain't got to. You don't have to do anything to receive. But believe by faith 
he has anything, and I'm going to receive anything. If God, if you want me to pray, if you want me to shout, if you want me to raise my hands, if you want me to speak in tongues, if you want me to go to the nations, I do that. But I believe, God, you've got a good gift. I receive your good gift. I ask for it in faith. I am not have to be good enough to receive it. He was good enough. Amen. So surrender, pray. Number three, simply receive. Childlike faith. Just receive. Just open up your mouth and just begin to praise the Lord. Let him fill you. That's it. There's no formula. You don't got to have hands laid on you. You ain't got to fall down on the floor. You ain't got to do. Just receive his goodness. He's a good father. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me all across this place? We're going to go into another time of worship. These last several minutes here.